0: Overdrive. Mark Rowe in for Brian Hayes alongside Dave Fezchuk from the Toronto Star and the O-Dog. Jeff O'Neill. Mike Johnson's going to join us in a couple of minutes. You can feel it. It's a snowstorm but you can feel it. The weekend is almost here. I've had
1: enough of the snow actually. I generally don't (laughs) complain. We live in Canada. It's like it's part of the deal. But remember in February, it was like kind of getting warmer. And I'm like, maybe this is over early mm. this year. Yeah. I thought we would literally be golfing by now the way the weather was warming up. But when you are snowing at this particular time of the year, I say mm. I'm done. Yeah.
2: Well, it's daylight savings this weekend, and it's still snowing like crazy. It doesn't seem right, O-Dog. But I thing with you, O-Dog, that I don't really relate to is once you've lived in the south and you've lived in some nice climates in your day, like how do you come back? I don't know if I could come back.
1: Oh, I got one worse for you. I used to drive back from South Florida because you could only stay there for six months at a time and I would, and no disrespect to people that live in Erie, Pennsylvania, but I would get to Erie and drive by Erie and say, why the hell do these people live in Erie, man, when they can just go 15 hours south, and they're in Florida. Yeah. That is one thing we can't because we live up here. But when you live in Erie, and what I found about living in Florida, there is a bunch of people. It's like not anyone's from Florida. They're like, yeah, I'm from New York. I just picked up, packed up all my stuff, and I just drove down here and found a condo, and I live here now.
0: Right. A, lot of, a lot of people do it, yeah. and
1: why wouldn't you?
0: Well, I don't know how you'd feel about living in Memphis, but last night in that city, the Grizzlies beat the Golden State Warriors. Yes. And, of course, we've been tracking this feud between Dylan Brooks and Draymond Green. And uh, Brooks got the upper hand last night in this win. Let's hear how they continued this feud last night. Uh, we'll hear from both players beginning with Dylan Brooks, and here he is following that win. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right, baby. All right, well.
1: JP has left (laughs) the building, and he is on vacation, (laughs) and he's on March break.
0: You can't can't blame him. Okay, he's got the clip. Here is Dylan Brooks (laughs) and Draymond (laughs) Green. Yes. No.
1: No,
2: no, because I know I'm a better player than him. I can do the same stuff like he does. That's easy. You know, that's just showing up to work. Me, you know, I try to score, I figure out, try to figure out plays, I try to call out plays for my team, you know, so just the fact that, you know, he was trying to, you know, pin my teammates against me, that was a low blow, so, you know, that's what type of player he is.
0: He thought he would, like, bait me like he gets baited. I get technical fouls when I want to get a technical foul, I don't get baited into technical fouls, so I think that's probably the difference in between me and him, if I do that to him, It'd be a double tech because he'd respond. But it's not a double tech because I didn't respond. Okay. He also okay. went on to say that anyone can win games in March and he barely rolls out of bed in March. Yes.
1: Raymond Green, I, I love the fact of somebody kind of making a stand. But I think you gotta pick your poison when you're when you're getting into a battle of words with somebody, especially someone that has his own podcast and he can just get the information on his phone at practice and drive right home and fire up his podcast and start carving you. He's won a lot. He's part of a great team. And Festchuck, isn't he a great player? Like, oh, yeah. a, 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 Along with the antics, he's, he's a great player. I, I don't know. I mean, you don't want to shy away from it and kind of you know, handpick who you want to get in a beef with, but you want to go to battle with that guy in a war of words. You better... Have it together! I'll tell you that. I'll tell you what though.
2: Like I, you can't. Like it's a bit delusional on the part of Dylan Brooks, who's from Mississauga, and and obviously, I got a bit of a soft spot in my heart for the guy because I like the toughness, I like the instinct. It's a little delusional to say you're as good a player as Draymond
0: Green because Draymond Green's going to the Hall of Fame. He's got four rings. He's been. Well, it depends on the context, of the right? Yeah, like, yeah, at, like exactly. At, like at one point, Tracy McGrady was a better player than Michael Jordan. Right in Michael Jordan's career. But yes. you would never go out and say it, right? But these
2: guys, are, you know, like show some respect. But on the other hand, with in this league, O and and Mark, like it's such a soft league now. There's so like there are so few guys that actually have a little bit of grit to them and aren't afraid to go chest to chest, nose to nose. You know, whatever you want to say, word for word and play for play. And Dylan Brooks comes to play, and I just like he makes some stupid mistakes, like the nut shot on Donovan Mitchell. But so is Draymond Green. Draymond Green cost the Warriors a, a, a championship say, in that category <laughs> with a nut shot on LeBron. So you know, like when you got when you live on the edge, oh dog, like when you've got a teammate who lives on the edge, you got to live with them occasionally going over the edge, do you not?
1: Well, that's just exactly it. I don't know. I just. I kind of like the animosity, and I like the bickering. And then there's another side of me that's like, "What are you guys really trying to prove here?" You know what I mean? It's just like, keep it. Like it's just like I tell Michael Bunting with the referees, like channel your energy towards the opposition. But I guess this get gets clicks and it it gets yeah. people to put eyes on it, and ultimately, it's pretty much good for the game because, as you said, Fast Chuck. You can put the NBA with the NHL, where over the last ten or fifteen years, you have seen a product that has gotten way softer. No contact, no animosity in hockey. There's fighting. There's none of that anymore. You used to see dudes like Bill Lambier like grab a guy by the neck, go under the hoop. Oh yeah, and and strangling him to the ground. Like you, mm-hmm. you like it's all the time. It's it's a soft environment for both both leagues. So. A little bit of animosity, I guess, is good for business, but there must be other guys saying, oh, my God, what are you guys talking about? So rude.
0: Well, a man who knows animosity is our next guest. Uh, And numbers. He knows numbers, and he also knows animosity and how to get under someone's skin. It's our hockey analyst, Mike Johnson, who I don't know if it was during your NHL days or your days as a Scarborough basketball all-star, but if you wanted to... You could trash talk, MJ.
3: <laughs> well, I don't know if you're like, like, I'm a trash talker or am I just annoying? It could be, <laughs> it be either way. I'll tell you, well, it's funny because I wasn't much of a trash talker, I thought. I just kind of left everything alone and didn't bother anyone. But I think when I started in the NHL, I was very naive to kind of the ways of the league, like just kind of the, the ways certain behavior might, might bother people. And I, I guess would kind of run my mouth during games a little bit and not like challenge guys like I'm going to kill you kind of stuff but just whatever, Some comments about their ability, whatever. And I had no idea that that would bother anyone until it was Luke Richardson, coach of the Blackhawks, who like, you know, we, we fought once, unfortunately for me, but he like chased me around for a couple of years because he didn't like the way I ran my mouth the first couple of years of the league. So um, apparently, yeah, I could, at least for him
4: get under her skin
2: MJ I mean you, you, it's funny to hear you say yourself that you ran your mouth that surprises me you seem like such a college edu- educated sensible guy like what what kind of stuff were you up to as a young uh, upstart
3: I, I don't know I mean maybe because in college like you would maybe you do more of that because you never had you're, you're never gonna fight anyone right like, there was never any repercussions for doing it it was just kind of the the, the the language that would go back and forth during game, and it was not very well, you know, super creative or anything. But um I, I don't know. I mean, I don't the I, you know, we'd get in a scrum and someone would push me, and then I would say whatever, whatever came to mind. Uh, apparently it's not always the most polite, but uh as I got older, maybe I mellowed a little bit, or maybe i just having tired of having Luke Richardson chase me around for three years. I'm like, I probably should just stop this mm-hmm. just for my own well-being.
0: Well, since you bring up a guy who played for both the Oilers and the Maple Leafs, let's uh, talk about this game this weekend. And what kind of statement did Edmonton make last night against a Boston Bruins team that was on a 10-game winning streak that hadn't lost in regulation after leading after two periods and the Oilers win the game without McDavid and Drysaddle scoring a goal?
3: A a pretty big one. And there's a lot to like about that game. I mean, I think you just mentioned the fact that that they won in Boston in a game where it wasn't carried by Connor or Leon or Nuge or Zach Heim or any of those guys, it was the depth guys that found a way to get it done. Like that is, that has not been the norm. That has been something they've been looking for in a big game and a big moment to have somebody else step up and be counted for That's significant. I also think it's significant uh, that in a game in which Stuart Skinner didn't play great i guess early on left a couple goals that were not great get past him, he shut the door the rest of the way and he gave his team a chance to win in a night where even you know he wasn't at the very best of his game to start i think that would give the team a ton of confidence in the guy who was unquestionably their starting goaltender now that's also something they can build off of it was the second game in a row in about 10 days that Edmonton played Boston straight up and Boston is the best team. Everyone acknowledges that. And and Edmonton has been right there with him two weeks in a row playing. That should make him feel good.
0: And the
4: last
3: bit to me, see if Eckholm Edmonton. He's doing exactly what they hoped he would, stabilizing the second pair in pressure moments against good opposition. He doesn't panic. He moves the puck well with his skate, with his skating, with his passing. And so There's a lot to like. I know it's just one win, but against Boston this year, it's not just one win. How they did it, who contributed, and the fact that they came back and won in Boston, it's 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 more significant than just a win against a good team.
1: Johnny, what's a reasonable explanation or expectation for Austin Matthews tomorrow night the last time these two teams played? He wasn't very good. They got Mm -hmm. thumped. Edmonton just won a big game in Boston. It's Saturday night. It's Matthews McDavid. Playoffs are around the corner. Like we don't want to get into this. It's kind of a Joe from the bridge type of approach where it's like he better be the best player on the ice. <laughs> just what, what's the Mike Johnson smart realistic expectation? Um, I think you'd like him. Win the five
3: on five battle against Connor McDavid. And, and, and that means, like, that doesn't necessarily mean scoring four to Connor's three. That might mean scoring one to Connor's zero. Because, you know, depending, I think Tavares is going to play tomorrow night, but he, I, he'll probably face Connor McDavid a fair bit, um, head to head. Uh, given that they're at home, I, I don't know if it's going to be Sam Lafferty. I don't know if it's going to be John Tavares if he's playing on the third line. I think it's probably Austin Matthews to get that assignment. And so that's what I'm expecting. That's what I'm hoping for. I thought he skated well against Jersey the other night. Like, I thought that was a strong game for Austin Matthews. He scored the goal late, which, of course, everyone is excited about. But he played well prior to that. And so that's, yeah, that's where my mind would go. I would be like, you know, maybe not outscore Conor McDavid because the Mm -hmm. the power play for Evan is ridiculous. But five on five, control play, create your fair share of chances. Connor's going to get his, but you need to get yours as well. And if you do that, Charles will have a good chance to win, and that'd be a successful night for Austin Matthews.
2: We were talking earlier, MJ, about you know the way Sheldon Keith is mixing up the lines of late, and especially with Michael Bunting, always making the case they should just you know forget the you know forget whatever the message is trying to be sent to Bunting uh, right now. I guess today at practice he was on the third line with Tavares, Kerfoot was up with Matthews and Marner on line one. You know, mm-hmm. What do you make? What do you make of the way Sheldon Keith is approaching Michael Bunting less than a month from the playoffs?
3: Well, I mean, I, I think he's acknowledging how important he is because he's he's working hard to get the best out of Michael Bunting, um, and I also think that Sheldon is thinking about playing three lines in the playoffs. I I think Sheldon's thinking about. Playing O'Reilly, Tavares, and Matthews on three different lines, mm-hmm. which means they got to spread those wingers out. Which maybe means that Michael Bunting doesn't play with Mitch and and Austin. He has to play further down with a Tavares, with an O'Reilly in a slightly different role, and he he's trying to get him wired in to maybe play that kind of role. And I think Michael Bunting, the guy who who has so much sort of spirit to his game, that he takes that demotion or whatever you want to call it, line shuffling. And channel it in a I will show you sort of attitude as opposed to a woe was me sort of attitude, and that you know probably let Sheldon Keith get a bit more creative with him. I don't have a problem with it. Michael Bunting's going to play a big role for the Leafs when he gets the playoffs. He's going to play the top three lines. He's going to play with a very good centerman, and so you know he, he's going to have a chance to be an impactful player. So I guess I'm I'm okay with what Sheldon Keith is doing with Michael Bunting right now
0: and hockey analyst Mike Johnson joining us on Overdrive. Uh, the Philadelphia Flyers making some news today, uh, Johnny and Chuck Fletcher is out. I don't know if the the lack of a deal for JVR was the nail in the coffin or not. The, the, Couldn't
1: have been, man. Like, well, of all the things. That's not what's sealing the deal. Is well, I don't. But I'm
0: just, okay. Maybe it's the last chapter in his, his days as a Could GM. Could be the straw. Could be the straw that broke the camel's maybe. back. Maybe. Because the timing is peculiar, right? Like, if you're going to fire a GM or
1: exactly.
3: somebody else, fire them before the deadline and let the new guy <laughs> take on the deadline. If Thank you're not you. going to fire before the deadline, then, then right out the season because mm. the new guy's not doing anything in the next two months because there's nothing really to be done unless they want to revamp the whole front office. And that's where this leads me, Mark, is that I think the Flyers, this change is not going to be just um, – Chuck Fletcher out as the president of the GM. They're going to have to hire a new GM, probably Danny Breer. They're going to have to hire a new president because they're going to split that job up, as they've said. But I think, you know, the Flyers have been so influenced by those all-time great guys that have been around over the years. The Bobby Clarks, the, the Holmgrens, and the, the guys that were part of the great 70s team. And, and I think... You know, they might be turning the page and just kind of like, you know what? Those guys have been so important and great ambassadors and flyers for life. But maybe we have to move into a more to a different kind of front office shake, shake up. And I wonder if just getting a jump on that. So that is in place by the end of the year or heading into the draft and all those other things in the summer. Maybe why they do it now. But it is it's not so surprising that Chuck Fletcher was let go. Like that makes sense. They're struggling, whatever. It's more the timing of it which raised my eyebrows today.
0: Well, But does it seem odd that that to begin this season they hired John Tortorella as the coach?
3: Well, I mean, I, I think, again, this goes back to who's running the show there. Like, is Chuck Fletcher making every decision about the direction of the team? Like, I think more ownership and and the people that are above team presidents are more involved in hockey decisions and, and influencing direction than maybe we would want to acknowledge. And so... Um, you know, I don't think Torch is a bad guy to have around for a rebuild. I think Torch is a teacher. I mean, I was on the worst team in the league in Tampa when Torch took over, and three years later they won the Stanley Cup. Like, you know, he's okay with going through the process. Um, I just wonder, like over the years, whether it's the risk-aligning trade and then signing him, or whether it's going out and signing Kevin Hayes or not signing Johnny Gaudreau. Like, I just wonder if that was all exclusively. Fletcher's decision, or was this some sort of collaborative team hierarchy trying to, you know, have a say in what's going on in the ice as well? I, I think it's maybe a little bit of the latter, which is not always a good situation.
2: Johnny, we were talking about the wild card situation in the East with, with pretty much everything else uh, wrapped up. There's still that could be a four-team race between, you know, the Islanders right now are sitting – In that first wild card spot, there's the Penguins right behind them, two points back, and then another four points back. You got Ottawa and Florida. I guess we posed the question to Cheryl Pound earlier in the show. Do you believe in the potential of the Ottawa Senators finding a way to get into one of those two spots?
3: I mean, I believe in the potential. If you're asking me to make a prediction of who's going to make it, the teams that are in the playoffs right now will make the playoffs when the season's said and done. Yeah. Um, you know, it's only four points, so it's nothing for Ottawa to catch Pittsburgh. Nothing. Same number of games. They're six back of the Islanders, three games in hand, so, it's, you know, they could win the games in hand and be tied with them. For the Islanders, I think they're playing a little bit better as of late. Uh, you know, you have to like their goaltending to know that they're going to be in every game down the stretch. I just think they're going to be so consistent they're going to be hard to catch because, you know, Ottawa's not going to win every game that they have in hand. The Penguins feel more vulnerable, more catchable, perhaps, than the Islanders, just because the goaltender is a bit more unsettled than Tristan Jari than, than Ilya Sorokin. Um, and the Penguins have sort of been scuffling along, you know, some good wins, some good losses. They've had some comebacks. They gave up one last night. That might be the team they have to go catch. But it's not just catch Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And Pittsburgh are going to stay ahead of Florida, who all of a sudden have Sergey Bobrovsky playing pretty well. And that becomes a bit of a challenge. They have to stay ahead of Buffalo, who was terrible last night and lost three in a row. But, you know, there's a lot of teams for not many many spots. They have a chance. I don't know. Like, how are we feeling about Mad Sogard and Kevin Mandalay's? Oh, right, right. On the stretch. I mean, it could be the hamburger all over again, and I hope it is. It would be amazing. But I just, you know, they have a chance, but I, I would not say it's likely than not.
1: Johnny, what happens in Pitt if they don't? They don't punch a ticket. Is it like, okay, fellas, go get them again next year, or what's that scenario? I
3: don't know. Like, what do you? I mean, Berkey's in there, and they got Ron Hextall running the show. They re-sign Lestang and Malkin and Sid, and they have a lot of good players. Yeah, I mean, I don't think changes would be coming to the front office. I think maybe changes would be coming to the, the players. That they'll shop around defensemen and. you know, Marcus Pedersen, Brian Jumblin. they'll find ways to move out players, but I don't think they just say re-rack it next year, same group. I think they make pretty significant changes to the roster to build around. They've they've committed to being good the next three years, right? Mm -hmm. That's why they have those guys signed, to try to win another Stanley Cup with those guys right now. So they don't have the option of kind of taking a step back. They can only change the players to kind of keep trying to press forward, which I bet they would do if they don't make the playoffs.
0: Should be interesting. Um, You know, as as much as it's uh, a little boring when it comes to the Maple Leafs and who they will play, the the wild card races are going to live up to the hype down the stretch. So, should be fun. Uh, Johnny, great stuff as always. Enjoy the weekend, my friend. All right,
3: boys. Enjoy the snowy weekend. It's a snowstorm out there, so enjoy yourself.
0: Yeah, we don't have windows in the studio, so we didn't... uh, I'm, I'm letting you know. We we yeah, I, know. we appreciate it. We don't know what we're walking into in uh, about 40 minutes, but thank you for that. Appreciate it.
3: When you have, I listen. You have a remote car starter, Mark. I'm sure you do. Turn it on about 15 minutes before the show's over.
0: You're <laughs> I, thought you're say, <laughs> I thought you were going to say. I say start it now. <laughs> yeah, it's not that bad. It's not that okay. Bad. All
1: right. My rental cars don't have those automatic starters. <laughs> Well. Yeah, my neither. Oh, <laughs> preaching to the
4: choir, buddy. You're preaching yeah. to the choir.
1: Now yeah. I can one up you, Johnny. I've officially got two rental cars. They came back to steal my wife's trucks. Good on them. They got both of them now. So enjoy, Wow. Cars.
0: Anyway, thanks, Johnny. Oh, we'll talk geez. to you soon. Oh, well,
3: well, we'll talk soon. <laughs> yeah,
0: we'll chat leaving then. you on that note. Okay. <laughs> All right, boys. There you have it, Mike Johnson, our uh, hockey analyst. Oh, I was not aware of this. I'm sorry, sorry to hear that. Oh. Yeah, it
1: sucks. Apparently, they've been on the trail of the guys that took Mitch Marner's truck. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say they just arrested, arrested two guys. a couple
2: of suspects yeah. in connection with the carjacking. Yeah,
1: you know what might be a good idea though? Let them go to jail for ten or fifteen years for armed robbery instead of getting out tomorrow and being back on the streets. Maybe it will make people think in the future about doing this kind of crap. It's insane.
0: You know, there there is a, a job opening. Oh, dog for mayor. Oh, dog for mayor. Let's go. Oh, dog for mayor. But if anybody in this town or this province is wondering
1: why all the crime is happening, it's because no one goes to jail for anything. They get out the next day. Like, let's smarten up here for crying out loud. It's a joke. Well. Anyway, that's enough about that.
0: One way to get your mood turned around, we're going to head to Florida and join uh, Bob Weeks. Who's at yes. the Players' Championship? Three Canadians in the top ten. So looking forward to that. As Mailed in Fridays brought to you by Boston Pizza, Canada's favorite sports bar. The push to the playoffs is here, and BP's elite lineup of pizza wings and ice cold beer is always dialed in for game time. Hustle into your local BP tonight and try our new four cheese ravioli bites, a game-changing appy that's here for a limited time only. Bob Weeks, after the break. Well, some call the Players' Championship the unofficial fifth major. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, Dave Poolin called it the course that O Dog dominated. Ooh. I like that one a little better, but. Uh, I don't
1: know why the, that name came about.
2: Well, what, did my you best not dominate
1: it? No. I mean, my best score from the tips was two over. That's not dominating that's, that place. That's
2: pretty nice. That's for the pretty tips. good.
1: It is. I eagled 16. I birdied 17, the island green, oh. and then I hit a butter shot into 18, and it went long, and I couldn't get it up and down.
0: I was so mad. Oh,
1: nice anyway, job. that's not here nor there. Is so, Bobby Weeks there?
0: Not yet, um, but we will get to Bob Weeks in just a moment. You talk, We talked about 17 and how uh, our boy Rami scored a 7 yeah. And and that you said you know nerves aside, that it's not that difficult of a hole. So you I mean, pl- I
1: wasn't playing for a four million dollar sure. first prize check. I
0: mean I were don't you know. were you dry like, every time that you that you played that hole? Every time,
1: and that's not a lie. But when I was looking at the golf hole, it didn't look like an island to me because the grass—it's all grandstands at a TPC course—and it looked like it was just grass in behind it, so it didn't look that frightening. But. I don't know. When the winds howling and you're playing for four million bucks as the first prize, maybe you view it and you act a little bit differently. I don't know. Yeah, there's guys that make it look like a piece of cake, and there's guys that it can ruin their tournament, like our boy Ramey did today.
0: Yeah, and it gets in your head clearly. Um, and sometimes, like I said, you need luck. We we showed uh, Victor Hovland's shot that you know hit the edge of the green and went up and stayed on. Uh, We're showing that now. Also, Jordan Spieth, did you see his tee shot hit a spectator? Yes. And went back in? Got to be good to be lucky, right? Man, that Jordan Spieth,
1: that guy never makes life easy on himself. Every time he tees it up, it's an adventure. He's in the woods. He's talking to his caddy. He can either putt or or he's the best putter in the world or the worst putter. It is I don't know how his cat his caddy must drink more than any human being on earth.
2: <laughs> it's great to watch it. He is the best T V on the PJ tour, man. It, I really find is. it
1: entertaining. It's, it's great. like the swing. He's got the practice swing of a seventeen handicap and then he goes up and rips it three hundred and thirty yards. He's sneaky long, but the one thing he is is entertaining.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, the only thing better than going to Florida during a snowstorm is going to Florida and chatting with our guy Bob Weeks, who now joins us on Overdrive. How are you, Bob?
4: Uh, I'm a little wet, but other than that, pretty good. Oh, okay. It's raining here. Well, Falling we're rain.
0: we're talking about 17, and our guy nice. Rammy getting a little wet on uh, and, and and essentially throwing away his tournament. But uh, a, a pretty good day for the for the Canadians, isn't it?
4: It was, for three of them anyway, for sure. Adam Svensson is through 11 holes, and uh, he's tied atop the leaderboard at 8-under, and then we've got uh, Pendrith at 5-under, and Adam Hadwin, who's going to return tomorrow with a 5-foot putt for the third consecutive birdie to go to 6-under as well. So uh, they're all doing pretty well, those three guys anyway, but uh, that was not the story of the day for most people. I can assure you that. We saw some horrendous shots out there. Greens were firm and hard, and wind was blowing. It was crazy.
1: Well, you just talked about 17, Bobby. You think it's a great hole or it's a goofy, tricked-up hole? Because we just saw that kid, Ramey, today in control of his golf ball, playing extremely well, leading the tournament, and he gets there and he craps his pants. I mean, is that a goofy hole or is that him crapping his pants?
4: No, that's just him crapping his pants. I mean, that's a mental you know, mental giant you've got to be to get through that thing in those kind of situations. And, you know, most guys now, they don't even look at the pins. They just hit it right to the center of the green. You don't want to be up on the top lip because you just go over. Graham DeLette was telling me all this because he has, he in all his career, he never hit it in the water there. How about that? That's pretty good. Me neither. And,
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: but most guys, as he says, will just hit it right to a certain number. Don't worry where the flag is. Get three and uh, and walk up. I think it's good. A lot of the golfers will tell you they would prefer if it was, Somewhere else in the lineup, like not the 17th hole, but hey, you got to play them all.
1: Bobby, why is it taking so long for them to play golf out there? I was watching the coverage this morning and or mid midday, and Rory and Scheffler. It was unfortunate for them because they were a 2 some and not a three-ball, but there was four groups on the second tee. Like Rory likes to play fast. Like there was an hour and forty minutes, and they were on the third green. That's insane. It-
4: yeah, it's ridiculous. They were they were talking about that after the round. They have a time par, so basically they have a, uh, a a clock that says how long you're supposed to play each hole, and then a total round. And not one not one group made the time par. They were all way over it, and it just starts with that first group and goes from there. Now, when it's windy, like it was today, it often becomes more difficult to pull the club. Um, but, but there's no excuse. this has gone on you know, for a long time, and guys are just slow out there. It really is kind of painful to watch them rehearse and, and practice and line things up. and yeah.
1: A lot of uh, times, you know, Bobby, this year they haven't even got like, like like today because of weather. The first and second round aren't being completed on time and it's got to be no. done Saturday morning because everything's so slow.
4: Yeah, even if it hadn't rained, they wouldn't have finished today. They didn't finish yesterday. They know that. That's, that's common. You know, it happens more often than you think on the PGA Tour. It actually is, I would say, I don't know, very rare that you actually get a tournament where there's no delay, especially at this time of year before you get into it, it gets to be a little more light.
2: What do you make of Svensson? Obviously, uh, going to go into Saturday, albeit a, uh, still a second round Saturday, Bob, with a share of the lead with the... Uh, Christian, uh, Buz, uh, sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna screw up his name. But the, the, yeah, Badesenhoe, the the great South African, um, Svensson. Obviously, he's on a roll, right? He's going to be playing his first Masters in about a month. He's uh, he's had his, had a big win this season already. Uh, what what are you seeing from him that that gives you optimism that he that he can keep building on this?
4: He has got uh, a, an amazing golf game, and he's always he's had this for a long time. What he's sort of finding out now is that he has to work hard to be even better than, than that. Like he came up being so such a good player that, you know, he figured, oh, I don't have to work. But now he's been working hard on his game for the last six months or so. He's got a woman in his life, which has kind of changed it for him. Uh, she's taken him a little bit of control, but he's very regimented now. He gets up at the same time every day. He practices the same amount of time, works on the things he needs to work on. And, and I, I, think he's, uh, I think he's the real deal. I, I don't know if he's going to win here this week. This is a big ask but he he will win again and uh and he'll he'll contend. He's a very very good player now and now that he's got kind of his head in shape and, and focused a little bit better, I think you'll see him uh, up in the top 10 a lot more.
1: Bobby, in your time sitting with Graham Delat, and he was an a fantastic ball striker when he was out on tour. What what, what is, does he ever talk about when you're at Sawgrass, as you've been the last couple years with him? The approach to a Pete Dye golf course where it's kind of visual intimidation off the tee and there's a lot more room than what you think. Does has he ever discuss kind of the right approach to that? Is it pick a target and let it fly or the best way to navigate around TPC Sawgrass? You know, you just listened to him. We were out walking around a little bit today and you listened to him talk about the court, this particular
4: course. And he said, he'll, he says, that, you know, this is where a lot of players think you should go, but you move it over here. So I think it's kind of experience more than anything. But he's got a plan on that golf course, and uh, he dissected it pretty well when he was playing here. Uh, again, I told you what he did on 17, but he's got the same kind of thing on 18. There's not really a ton of let up on this golf course. That's the one thing, and I think you find that with a lot of Pete Die courses. You know, you've you've got to be sharp because even the short holes are hard. I think for a while this morning, in the first wave, one of the shortest holes on the course was playing playing the toughest. So number four. Um, Yeah, number four. Thank you. And they've uh, guys are putting it off into the the water and things. So it's but but Graham has and I think a lot of golfers, you know, it's it's very tough to play this golf course. Well, the first time you come out here, Adam Svensson is kind of an outlier, I guess, in that respect.
0: You know, Bob, uh, not to overlook this weekend because it's a huge tournament. But as we approach the Masters, which one of these tournaments gives you the best Sort of gauge into who's playing well going into that first major, who can do the best at Augusta, given the courses and just given the magnitude of a Players Championship or whether it was last weekend at Bay Hill.
4: Uh, this one doesn't doesn't this one doesn't always give me the best indication of who's going to be the winner with the green jacket, but it does give you an idea kind of who's playing well. The courses are quite different between this and Augusta National. There's a lot more slope on the greens. Um, it's, it's more of a, more of a second shot golf course than this one is, I would say. And, you know, you have to, have to find where you're, where you're going to land it on the particular spot on the green at the Augusta National more so than here. And so I think you just look for general good play here. I mean, Cam Smith obviously did well in both of them last year. Um, but, but I think you can, you know, you might miss the cut here and still, still play pretty well at a, at a, at Augusta National. I think you have to look at more of the body of work, say for the last, I don't know, two months or something like that. Like, Rory is is not playing well here, but I suspect he'll be around at Augusta National. John Rom, well, he had to withdraw today. Um, but but there's a guy, too, same sort of thing. I I look at those guys because they've had a great season so far or a great couple of months. Scotty Scheffler, um, he's playing well here. Colin Morikawa might be a good one because he's such a great ball striker and great with those irons. I think he's probably the best iron player in the game right now. So... This one specifically I don't look at, but but it'll give you an indication of who's playing well, which could help you.
1: Rahm out. Does that seem legit, or he just had enough and he doesn't have it right now, and he pulled the pin, body?
4: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. He was out on the putting green before. I thought he was going to play. Uh, I didn't hear anything about the reason, but, you know, usually he was one under, so he wasn't like he was terrible or something, but... Uh, this could be something that you see in the future now with these guys because they they're going to have all these tournaments they're going to have to play, all these designated tournaments, and you got to show up for them. So there might be a kind of guys with a, a bad back that comes up all of a sudden. But uh, I don't know. it's uh, I think it was probably legit for John Rom. He likes to play golf.
2: There was a lot of talk, uh, Bob, going into this tournament about the fact that the defending champion uh, was not in attendance. Of course, Cam Smith, now a, a live golf property. Um he talked about how uh, he lives in Jacksonville. He may he may was thinking about maybe showing up, maybe in disguise to to watch his uh, former colleagues on the PGA Tour. Any any, any Camp Smith sightings?
4: Uh, yeah, he actually there. So there's a little nine hole course right on the property here, and he just walked over there and, and hooked up with three other guys and played nine holes. Apparently, that's the story we really? heard. So he hasn't been actually over at Sawgrass yet, but he's been over at the. Uh, He's been over at the other courts. He lives, you know, very close to here as well. I mean, it, it would be funny. I saw Harold Varner at the Presidents Cup. That's the closest I've seen to a live guy actually at a PGA Tour event, but that was a while back. But Cam Smith, uh, you know, I think uh, I, I think um, Jay Monahan hit the nail on the head. He said, "Look, it, it, we'd love to have him back here, sure, but he made a decision, and you know, you can't come and play in both both tours. At least that's, that's the PGA Tour's uh, reading of the of the of the rules right now. We'll see who ends up winning that one when it gets to court in about a year."
1: Bobby, we were talking about it a little bit yesterday. Do you think Augusta National understands how sports degenerates think and how much they would want to see people that hate each other golf together? Or do they just want to stay clear of that? Like, everybody would want to see Reed and McElroy tee it up at Augusta. Would Augusta ever want that? I don't know. They might be sitting
4: beside each other at champions' dinner. That
1: would be a good one to have. They should
4: just have like a that, that that Netflix crew there chasing that. I was talking to Mike Weir about it. He said he doesn't know what's gonna happen when they get up there for dinner. They might have two tables. But uh I think I think they know well that they want the best players in the game to, to go head to head and I would think they would love it, because they know the crowd would love it, if you had let's say Dustin Johnson and Rory going down the last hole or Patrick Reed and Morikawa mm-hmm. or whatever, but sure, they'd love to see that. I mean, they they they're smart people at Augusta National, and they know they can do exactly whatever they want to do, uh, and and it's not going to rankle anyone at all. They they just make the rules whatever they want.
0: Well, play was suspended, uh, I don't know, like an hour ago, but you continued to work at TPC Sawgrass, and we appreciate that, Bob. Uh, I guess stay dry. You're saying that you're getting a little wet, so stay dry, and hopefully you'll be reporting on a Canadian winning the tournament on Sunday.
4: That would be that would be pretty nice. I was here for Stephen Ames in two thousand six, so add to the list. That would be a good one.
0: Awesome, let's do it. Thanks, Bob. Have a great weekend. There you have it. uh, TSN's uh, golf analyst Bob Weeks reporting from TPC Sawgrass as uh, play was suspended. And oh, it's a good like you brought it up as well. Like this this is the second day in a row that play has been suspended, right? Like it's It's
1: been well. This is due to weather, but it's like I think in Phoenix. And at the Genesis, these guys are so slow out there. Yeah. And I understand this is an amateur golf. There's a lot on the line. It's their livelihood. But I'll tell you what, Rory McElroy, he's top two or three player in the world. He gets up and hits his damn ball. Yep. And when you can't finish because of darkness and slow play, they've sat down and they've grinded out all of the business stuff about what's going to go happen in, in the future. They need to sit down and figure this out because it's ridiculous.
2: Yeah, you know, if, if this is a season where, you know, the sport that has no clock, baseball, is inserting yeah. a pitch clock, right? And and I know it, it would be impractical to say you got to have a shot clock on a golfer, but... I mean, it is. It's hey, if you got a, you got a timer, O dog, on how long you're allowed to look for a lost ball. It's three minutes now. You get three minutes to look for a lost ball. No kidding. Uh, why can't you have a timer of sorts on how long you get to execute a golf shot? I don't know.
1: I know it seems crazy. Like Rory McIlroy said, he, he's a friend of Jordan Spieth and they're colleagues and they're in it together. But he said he literally cannot stand playing behind him. Yeah, because Rory wants to get up and hit his ball, and Jordan Spieth is talking to greller. And they're having a five-minute chat, and they're, they're, it's it's a long time to, to to watch him hit a golf shot, and it drives Rory nuts, and he's told Speed that, but I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, I, I mean everybody.
2: You're right. Everybody's told Spieth that he's been called out for it many times, and there's plenty of other guys. It's not just Spieth. There's plenty of other guys who are. Yeah, I was going to say. I don't think he's anytime soon. No, he's not going to change. I mean, he's he's made you know hundreds and you know probably multiple hundreds of millions of dollars doing what he's doing. Uh, so it's but someone's got to make him change, right? There's got to be some kind of legislation that says we can't have. You know, six-hour rounds. I yeah. mean, heck, in junior golf, you know, my son was played junior golf, and the American Junior Golf. If you don't come in on your time par, as Bobby Weeks was talking about, you lose a stroke. You know why? You know, I don't know if they could go that far. The players have so much power now in the PGA Tour, but I think the fans would be up for seeing a guy that plays slow
0: losing a stroke now yeah. and then. That's fair. Oh, you watch a lot of golf between Svenson and Pendrith. Which one do you think is kind of the real deal who can be in contention consistently on tour?
1: That's a good question because Taylor Pendrith, he hits it long. Oh. And he looks like a guy that can bomb it. But if you look at Svensson, I think he's more of like a shot maker type of guy who might putt the ball better than Taylor Pendrith. So which one of those long term? Honestly, the way the game is played now, you'd go with the long ball hitter and see if he can just hit it so far. And have so many better opportunities than a guy like Svensson. That'll be a fascinating thing to track though in the future, which one of those two guys with their style and approach. Because when you watch Svensson um, win the the championship in Sea Island, like yeah. he was dialed in, man. And I didn't know how good a golf swing that guy had, but he was he was dialed in for that golf tournament. The only thing is can he keep can he have some consistency? Is he gonna be a guy that wins and then he pops up in contention at some lesser light events? It's Bobby yeah, Weeks it's, was talking about him having it together. So I mean, they're talking about his swing today. The big boys in the States were like this guy's got a real game. He does. So he's just gotta put it together and you could see him be much like a Jordan Spieth, who's like a shot maker, great swing, competitive. Let's yeah. see what you can I'll do. I'll tell
2: you what, he's you know I might side with Svenson on this because you know, when you talk to people who are in the golf business in Canada, like he may be the closest thing we've had to a child prodigy. Like he was a knockout Junior, he won a bunch of tournaments at the Division Two level, which is a really high level in the states. Played at Barry University and near them in the Miami area, and but as Bobby said, like he he was so good that he didn't know what it took to be great, yeah, or at least as good as you need to be to be on the PGA Tour on a regular basis. It's, it's taken him a long time. Uh, what is he now? 29 years old. It's taken him a long time, relatively. He's no, like Jordan Speed, who was on the PGA Tour at 16. He's got that kind of talent, but it's taken him a long time to figure it out. But whether or not he can keep it together, to your point, O'Dog, that's going to be the question. Like, it's one thing to have a good work ethic for a year or six months and, and win a tournament. But can you keep it going if that hasn't been your kind of natural way of doing things? Well,
1: it shouldn't take much motivation, Festruck, to pour yourself into the next 10 years of your life. Because if you're looking at the purses for a player like him, the events that he's going to be in, he could make a boatload yeah. of money in the next 10 years, Especially man, and now. then just pack it in. I don't think a lot of these modern guys you're seeing on TV Saturdays and Sundays I don't know how much of the senior tour they're going to be playing because their pockets yeah, are going to be yeah, stuffed with cash. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I don't know how much they're going to be out there. They might have to close the PGA Champions Tour down because I don't know if these guys are going to be out there. So if Spencer can get it together and put together 10 years where he wins a couple times a year or maybe once every couple of years, he'll be in business. Oh, no, dog, get practicing.
2: There Let's might be go. an opening for you, yeah. baby.
1: Nope. <laughs> No way, no way. I don't like playing in the club championship, let alone senior tour.
0: Come on. Well, it should be a pretty fun weekend to, uh, to see how the Canadians can do at uh, the Players' Championship. Uh, Mail-in Friday brought to you by Boston Pizza, Canada's favorite sports bar. The push to the playoffs is here, and BP's elite lineup of pizza, wings, and ice-cold beer is always dialed in for game time. Hustle into your local BP tonight and try our new Four Cheese Ravioli Bites, a game-changing appy that's here for a limited time only. We'll be back with our best bets, and to wrap up the week, when we return on Overdrive on TSN 1050, the TSN app, and also on TSN Two. Today's best bets are brought to you by FanDuel. Bet on all your favorite teams on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. I'm laughing because I just got a tweet that my picks sucked yesterday. Oh boy! Oh well. Who's keeping track? We Who's, start.
1: Hayes, Hayes' picks suck every <laughs> single day of the week. I'm just carrying oh, oh, on the tradition, right? Don't let it. Don't let it bother you. Just okay. do your thing.
0: Well, let's start with the Lakers and the Raptors game. Pasco Siakam, we're going to take him over 23.5 points. We're also going to take Jakob Pertle to have a double-double at plus 130. The Cavaliers are going to Miami to face the Heat. The Cavs are coming in on a three-game win streak. The Heat are 3-7 and seven in their last 10, so we're going to take the Cavaliers at plus plus. Two and a half. Today's best bets brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more and get your winnings fast when you download the FanDuel sportsbook app today. I just peeked outside at the TSM parking lot and the snow is coming down. I don't really feel like cooking. I don't know if we're gonna get Boston pizza tonight or not. There you go. It's a Friday night, why not? Right?
1: How long a drive do you have, Death Row?
0: Thirty minutes.
1: Yeah, I hope I've it's not I've had 30. enough of the snow. I've, I, I I can't do it. I'm going away. You're a snowboarder soon. though.
2: You're going south though, Doug.
1: I'm going south, and when I get back, I would love for the driving range to be open at oh, my golf course. That is, oh. that'd be
0: great. That's that's a big ask, but let's hope. Yeah. An, an outdoor driving range, you mean, right?
1: Oh, I mean <laughs> the practice facility at Weston Golf and Country Club. I would like that to be two weeks away from being open for business. That's all I ask. The only, not even the greens, not even regular play, just putt around, chip around, maybe some range balls off the mat, hitting off the mats. There
0: you go, a little puttering around.
1: I don't think that that's a big deal. Off the mats, why not? No, you want, but it's going to have to take
0: I was gonna about
1: ten days, and it doesn't look like on the forecast it's heating up very much.
2: Like we got a couple feet of snow on the
0: on the grass right now. Gonna be a tough one, O'Dog.
1: Yeah, it'll be a tough one.
0: Well, awesome stuff uh, today, guys. Always appreciate uh, coming in and filling in for for Hazy B. Um, Have a great weekend. I'm not going to be in on Monday. Oh, you're not going to be in on Monday? Are you in on Monday? I don't think I'm in on Monday. Okay, someone's going to be in on Monday at 4 p.m. They will chat then.
4: Mail it in Friday. is brought to you by Boston Pizza, Canada's favorite sports bar. The push to the playoffs is here, and BP's elite lineup of pizza, wings, and ice-cold beer is always dialed in for game time. Hustle into your local BP tonight and try our new four-cheese ravioli bites, a game-changing appy that's here for a limited time only.